chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And this morning we will be in verse 11. This morning we will be discussing some of um, Paul's pastoral concern for the church. Uh, in so many ways, it feels strange being up here as one of your pastors teaching you about the pastoral concerns. And, and But Paul has done it, and it's in God's word, and it's good. And so I hope that you will be encouraged and edified, and you will learn how to care for your pastors well um, in this verse. And so uh, let's go ahead and read God's word, and we will pray. Let's read 8 through 11, emphasis on 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Verse 11, I'm afraid... I may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. <clears throat> Most gracious Father, we thank you for your word. It is such a gift. And so often, Lord, we don't treat it as a gift. We gloss over verses like this one, thinking that they have nothing to do with our lives. And, Lord, we miss out on so much rich truth that you have for our lives. Father, would you give us attentive ears to hear? Would you give us hearts that are um, willing to examine themselves, that are ready to hear uh, what you would have for us this morning? Would you give me wise words of wisdom to exhort our church this morning? Would you help us, Lord, not to labor in vain, whether it be for those, the elders here who are laboring over the flock, or whether it be for um, our own lives, Lord, in the congregation, and are striving to be faithful to you, Lord. Would you help our efforts not to be in vain? Because ultimately, we trust not in ourselves, but in you. And so, Father, we are completely dependent on you. And, Father, may this morning reflect that as we hear your word uh, with attentive ears and a thankful heart. So be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So big picture. If you've been with us in Galatians for a while, sometimes we just have to think back. And big picture, why we're going through this book. And why did Paul write the letter to the Galatians? Right, so let's quickly review. So you're in chapter 4. Um, keep a finger there and just go back a couple pages to chapter 1. And we'll read verses 6 to 9. This is why Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. All right, so he has a purpose. He's not just writing to them for nothing. Something happened. This is what happened. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So what's happened is the Galatians had heard from Paul, from the mouth of Paul, how they are to live before God. And now they have turned from the gospel of Jesus and from what they have heard from Paul, and they're turning to a different gospel. 
he writes this letter, this whole letter of Galatian, the, to the Galatian church is a letter of pastoral concern for the church. He's writing because he's concerned for them. He's concerned for their spiritual state. He's writing because he loves them. Last week we saw how the Galatian churches were discerning the gospel. Right? Verse 10 in chapter 4. You observe days and months and seasons and years. They rejected justification by faith alone, and they began to trust that their sacrifices, their observance of the law, these are things that are necessary to be made right with God. They didn't just put their trust fully in Christ and his work, and they said, maybe a little bit of my work will go a long way in making me right with God. That's why I will observe days and months and years. Today, this would not be that different from the Jewish religion, right? Or from the Catholic religion, both of which would be false gospels. So then, as he's talking to them, verse 11 comes, and it's kind of striking. He's talking to them about what is happening, and then he kind of inserts himself into the picture, and he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This kind of breaks up the flow of the passage. So why does Paul say that? The first thing I want you to see is the pastor's care. Pastor's care for the sheep. We see this in the Galatian letter. Paul has labored to teach them the gospel and to teach them to them without hindrance. Right? He proclaimed to them the freedom that they have in Jesus apart from works. That they were slaves and now they're free in Christ to not return to the things that they used to do. Paul has labored night and day with tears to see them treasure Christ above everything and to see his work as sufficient and complete, not lacking in anything. If at the end of your days you do not stand with Jesus as your Savior, as your only hope, you will perish. Paul knows that. Pastors know that. And so pastors who are faithful will strive to help you see that. And often that comes at great cost to them. So what do we have here? Galatians are giving up the true teaching of the word. They're replacing it with a different gospel. They're undoing everything Paul had worked for. And Paul's afraid that there will be nothing to show for his efforts. At what cost a great sorrow to the apostle Paul? I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And that's the sad truth. It's that some will hear the word, and it'll be in vain. Many sit in churches all over Bloomington, our nation, hearing God's word and doing nothing about them. Is that true of our church too? They sit, they hear God's word, they've grown up in the church, and their hearts are completely unaffected by them. Their lives look no different. It's as if they came to church and it was just a blip. They had no lasting effect. And all of it, if you don't pay attention and regard it well, leads to the destruction of their souls. Church, I want you to see that if you are outside of God's will, if you're not inside God's will and following God's will, your life will be a tumultuous life. It will lead to much turmoil. 
and not just for you. Okay, that's, this is the thing that's helpful to see about this passage. If you are outside of God's will, there will be turmoil because God blesses our obedience and he punishes our disobedience. There will be turmoil for you in your life and not just for you in your life, but for those around you too, for those who care for you. We see that here in our passage. The fact that the Galatians are discerning the gospel isn't just affecting them. It's also affecting their shepherd. When you fail to take advantage of the blessings that God has shown you and you fail to honor the authorities that God has set over you, it will hurt your life and your loved ones. You will bring sorrow to many with your refusal to submit to Jesus. If you're a son or a daughter, especially this morning, you should take that to heart. You can bring great sorrow to your parents by forsaking the things that you've heard. Now, my goal this morning is not for all of you to question your salvation, right? And it's always such a hard balance because some of you need to be thinking and examining your lives more than you are. And some of you are too introspective about your own sins and will hear a message like this and will think, well, I must not be saved. And somehow I have to preach to both of you and help both of you, right? That's why one of the blessings of being a member and being baptized in a Bible-believing church is that there's comfort. Right? For you to know that you have confidence that you're walking with the Lord. So remember that. Now, if you are sitting here, right? If you're sitting here and you don't trust Christ, ask your Savior and you refuse to be baptized, you refuse to join the church, then yes, you should examine yourselves. You should be afraid that the work of many on your behalf could be in vain. But if you're here and you have trusted in Christ, then the call for you is to press on, right? To bear fruit that is consistent with your calling. Your life should still look different day by day. Continual repentance to look more and more like Jesus. To show that the efforts of those who care for you are not in vain. A life that is consistent with what Christ has actually done for you to make you a new creature. So church, many of you have heard, have been coming to this church for years. Many of you children have grown up in this church, and now you're in high school, in college. You've heard God's word preached to you for years and years. What do you have to show for it? What do you have to show for it? You will have a great deal to answer before God if you allow the efforts of your pastors and your leaders to be in vain over you. But if you press on, God is faithful. So the first truth I want you to see is that pastors are anxious over the sheep. Okay, what do pastors do? A lot of their work, they're anxious and they care for the sheep. Your pastors are anxious for you. All right, make it personal. We care for you. Can't okay, see that again. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is not the saying of somebody that doesn't care. This isn't the saying of a shepherd who just does it for fame and for glory, and now he's built all these churches, and now he's good. No, this is a pastor who cares, a shepherd who has great fear that his sheep would desert their Savior. Now, this idea, right, of Paul working in vain or being afraid that his efforts were in vain. This is not just found in this verse right here, verse 11. This is actually a common thread in Paul's letters. 
So I want you to see that. First, again, with me, just turn a page over back to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2.2 2 reads, I went up, this is Paul talking, I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seem influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, if you remember this, we've discussed this before, but Paul is concerned that he doesn't run in vain. Now look in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 4. He asked the Galatian church, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Now, up on your screen, it'll be 1 Thessalonians 3.5. Paul says this to, in a different letter. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 3.5 reads, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. Why? For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. I hear this. This is the same heart. Paul doesn't just care about the Galatian church. He cares about the Thessalonian church as well. He has great fear that somehow the tempter had tempted them and that his labor would be in vain. And this is just the experience and the affection of the pastoral office. Right? Just as a builder, if you're a builder and you're working to see a house completed and you put great work into that, and when it's done, you rejoice that the work is finished, Pastors strive to see you complete in Christ. Okay, go back to chapter 4. Now look at verses 18 and 19. It is always good to, made, to be made much uh, for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little ch children, for whom, I, for whom I, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Just stop there. Until Christ is formed in you. That's what pastors strive for to see Christ be formed in you. Is Christ being formed in you? Is that a thought that you give throughout your week? <clears throat> Faithful pastors will desire to see you grow into maturity, into your head, who is Christ. And so faithful pastors will sit with you. They will cry with you. They will exhort you. They will visit you day and night in order that God's work may be complete in you. So pastors should care about your growth. So when, this is, how do we apply that for you? College students, when you move and you're looking for a new church, you're in a new place, you don't know anybody, look for pastors who take their responsibility seriously. Look for pastors who actually care to know who you are, how you sin, And if you've had a pastor who's actually sat down with you and rebuked you and corrected you and exhorted you, be really, really thankful because it's really easy to not do that. It's a lot more superficially peaceful to just let people be and live however they want to live, right? And you all know that our church is far from perfect in that regard. We have so much room to grow. And every church is going to fail you. But look for pastors who are trying. Look for pastors who are trying to get to know you, who are trying to exhort you. And even when they get things wrong, 
They will admit that they're wrong, and they continue to help you and push you towards godliness in Christ. The pain here that Paul is feeling, this anguish over them, this fear that he may have labored over them in vain as he sees them deserting the gospel, is because he knows them. He cares for them. This isn't, just, this isn't just an abstract group of people out there. Paul actually knows them. He knows these saints personally. And so it grieves, to hear to them, it grieves him to hear that the sheep would go down a path of destruction. Now, another of the most astounding realities, too, and mystery in God's providence is the fact that pastors are still sinners, right? So we don't have a lot here. We just have here Paul's heart. We just hear that he is afraid that he may have labored over you in vain. And there is certainly a sense in which every pastor should have a proper concern for the sheep without sinning. But many pastors will still sin and will still be anxious to a sinful degree because they're not trusting in the Holy Spirit. They're putting too much um, responsibility on themselves. And so they're anxious and they fail to trust God with the sheep. I know that. I know that. <clears throat> Many pastors, myself included, have sinful fear that with the great work that is before us, and it's understandable because such a, such a great work that really no man can ever complete it. No, ever, no man could ever be completely faithful in the office. No man can measure up to the task. And so it is a wonder. You should wonder and you should be amazed that God did not just send you angels to preach to you every Sunday morning, that he actually chose sinful men to bring the word to you. And that should be a humbling thing for all of us. God designed his word to be brought to you and preached to you by sinful men. No man can bring dead bones to life. Man is completely incapable of doing that. On our own strength, on any man's strength, any efforts for ministry to see heart transformation will be in vain because no one is capable of this. The church is not built on any one man except Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now think about it for yourself. If you stand in your own ability and your own strength, then none of your efforts toward ministry will ever be successful. All the conversations and the hours that you spend on the phone with family members, the people that you have over for dinner, if you're trusting in what you can do to bring heart transformation on your own strength, it will be in vain. And you should be afraid that you're laboring in vain. And if you don't have opportunities to do ministry, then I'd encourage you, you should be doing that. This is why we're called as Christians. There should be a time in your weeks where you're actually actively trying to be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters and not just living for yourself. But if you are, how can you make sure that your efforts to care for others are not being in vain, are not being lost? The fact is that none of your conversations, none of your efforts should actually yield anything, right? Who are you to actually change a man's heart, a man's mind? We've fallen so short, and we don't have the power because we cannot bring eternal change. So we should just give up, right? Stop trying. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? Do we still love and reach out 
and trust that God will do a work is the fact that we trust in a powerful God. The fact that you're working, you're standing in Christ, it is his power that brings about life. It's not your hands. You don't deserve any credit for anything that you've seen accomplished. You don't deserve any recognition. All of it goes to God. It is God's grace and God's grace alone if any efforts of your evangelism or love will ever be successful. Trust in God, not in your own ability, because you will mess it up and you will say the wrong thing and it will be really awkward. But you don't trust in what you can bring to people. You're bringing them God's word and the Holy Spirit can bring real change. It is he who does this work through you. So you don't give up. You keep pressing on. You don't trust in yourself. When you fail, you don't just stay down. You trust that God will do that work through you because he is faithful. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reads, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's amazing. In the Lord your labor is not in vain. Even when it feels like you've been talking with your children for years and years and they're not listening, and even if you have grown children and they're walking far from the Lord and you think, are all of my efforts in vain? Trust in the Lord, because in the Lord, your efforts are not in vain. It is he who's doing a good work. And if it's not in their hearts, it's in your hearts. And so keep pressing on, church. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. All right, now let me transition the sermon a little bit. I think I've exhausted verse 11 for now. I think the question that I want you to think about is, how can you be an encouragement to your pastors? How can you be an encouragement to your pastors today? In the future, if God calls you to a different church, a new place, how can you encourage them and exhort them in the work that they're doing for you? How can you make sure that you're not running in vain and have a life of peace and not turmoil? Keep maybe one finger on Galatians chapter 4 and go with me to Philippians uh, chapter 4. We will be here for the most of the rest of this morning. We're going to be verses 8 through 11. So Philippians 4, 8 through 11 reads, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I want you to consider your thought life this morning. I want you to consider how your thoughts actually help you to live a life that is pleasing to God and that builds up the church. So think about it. What do you think about? I'm asking you to think about your thoughts. What do you think about? What do you meditate on? What kind of thoughts run through your head over and over and over? What consumes your mind on a weekly basis? Can you say with confidence that your mind is filled with things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, 
excellent, worthy of praise? Or is there much room in your mind for the, to grow? Your thoughts reveal what's in your heart. All right, Jesus made that clear in Matthew 15 when he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts. Out of the mouth, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hand does not defile anyone. The things that consume your thoughts actually reveal your priorities, the things that you love and treasure. Your, me your meditations are actually reflective of the condition of your heart. In church, know this. Your beliefs and your thoughts, they actually drive your actions. Okay, why do you do what you do? Because you want what you want. And why do you want what you want? It's because you believe what you believe. Your beliefs, the things you think about, the things you meditate on, actually drive your actions. So for all of us, this should actually strike our consciences. <clears throat> we all know that we have evil thoughts lurking in our minds. <clears throat> and even if we can put a really great appearance of everything is going perfectly and there's no issues, we all know that our minds are wicked. This should be a constant reminder to you of your great need for a merciful Savior. The fact that the thoughts that you don't want there and you still have a merciful Savior who loves you should constantly help you to run to him. So when you think that you're not that sinful, okay, a lot of us struggle with self-righteousness we think we're more righteous than the person next to us. When you think you're not that sinful, remember the thoughts that you entertain. That should remind you that you are way more sinful and wicked than you even give yourself credit. truth is, some of you are consumed with thoughts about what others think of you. Right? Oh, how did they take what I did then? Did they think that that word that I used was that, was that weird? Are they thinking lowly of me? You're consumed with thoughts of others and what they think of you. So much so that it paralyzes you from actually loving others. Some of you are consumed with anxious thoughts about the future. Some of you are consumed with your hobbies. And next thing you know, you haven't thought of God all week. Some of you have been consumed with thoughts of how others have wronged you or hurt you. And you've allowed those thoughts to linger and bitterness to creep in and holding on to that bitterness. Some of you are consumed by thoughts about how you should be recognized more for what you do, right? Don't you see all the service and all the things that I've done right? And I should get more credit for that, and no one ever recognizes me. What are we supposed to do with all those thoughts that are not pleasing to God? Oh, what does Philippians 4 say? What does Paul tell us there? What's the command? Look at verse 8. What is the command there? In verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think. Okay, think about these things. Think is a command from God. God calls you to think about certain things and not to think about certain things. As a Christian, you are actually called to control your thoughts. You don't just let your mind think about whatever it wants without repercussion. You are called to think and to set your mind on things that are pleasing to God. And when God gives you a command to follow, he also gives you the grace you need to actually obey it. All right, the Bible constantly reminds us of our need to guard our thoughts and to set our minds on the things of God. So on the slides here, we'll have a few verses. First, Romans 12, 1 to 2. And reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And reads, do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and pleasing. You're called to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renew your minds. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, in other words, we don't give credence to the wisdom of the world and the thoughts that the world wants to spring upon you. But we stand on God's word and we choose to believe it and take every thought captive for the glory of Christ. Colossians 3 1 to 2 reads, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, you are called to actually change your thoughts and to set your minds and meditate on things that are above and not on things of the earth. And for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the call and command from God to actually stop thinking about worthless things and meditate and think about things that are pleasing and excellent and worthy of praise. Because the truth is, is one of the most important and most helpful things to your Christian life is to actually pay attention to your thoughts. If you want to encourage the church, build up the church, honor God, you have to be mindful about the things that you're giving your mind to. Do not neglect the battle that is taking place in your mind. The truth is, Satan would like nothing more than for you to be dwelling on false notions of who God is and what he's doing. But he's a liar. This is what he did in Genesis 3, right? He twisted God's very words and made Adam and Eve think that they would not be that bad, that they would not actually die. And our call is to not give an inch to these lies and instead to press on in truth, to know truth, to believe it, to fill our minds with it. That's why it's so important for you to be careful, be so careful what you consume. Social media, TV shows, movies, what are the things that you're consuming that are, you're letting those things actually impact what you're thinking? So important to think about who you hang out with and what kind of people they are, what kind of things they cost you to think about. That's why it's such a help to your Christian life just to hang out with people and be spend time with the saints to help you think about things that are worthwhile and not just to give ourselves. That's why it's not good to be idle and just to let your mind wander about anything you want to wonder about. It's good to be with God's people. 
that's a help to you. The reality is that your thoughts, if they go unchecked, can lead you astray. But if you meditate on Christ and the truth of Jesus, this will set you free from error and draw you near to your Savior. So for some of you that are more introspective, sometimes this is why it's not good to be too introspective about your own sins. Right? Yes, obviously it is good for you to examine yourselves, and some of you need to do that more. You need to examine your heart. You need to confess your sins. But eventually you have to let those thoughts and all, even your thoughts, true thoughts about your sin, ultimately culminate with what's true. And what is that? The grace of your Savior. If you only think about your wretchedness and you stop there and you say, I am just a wicked sinner and there's no hope for me, you stop there. You're not actually thinking the full picture. You have to give regard to the mercy of your Father. Think about your sins in view and in light of what Jesus has done for you as a child. Otherwise, you will go insane and your thoughts will go like crazy and you will have no peace. But by God's grace, you can actually meditate on how your sins are in relation to your Savior and your great Savior. Isaiah 26.3 reads, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Church, will you trust in Christ? Will you trust in Christ that despite all of your sins and all of your efforts at self-justification, all of the things that you have done, the fact that of the matter is that we have somebody who has paid for those sins. You have a Savior who's greater than all of your sins. And if you stand in Him and you say, I will trust in nothing else, I will put no account, no trust, no confidence in the flesh, what I can bring, no confidence in any other gods or in any other person, but I will put my full confidence in Jesus Christ and the fact that His work on the cross is complete. And you trust in that and you put your mind on Him. Perfect peace comes to those whose mind is stayed on him because we have received reconciliation with the Father by what Jesus has done for us and nothing else. Will you trust your Father? Will you trust him? Will you, re will you repent of your evil thoughts? Will you repent of thinking that God is impotent before your sins? Will you put off wicked thoughts and instead put on righteous thoughts? Fill them with heavenly thoughts, and this will help you bear fruit. And lastly, let those thoughts from verse 8 now up to verse 9 lead you to action. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What you have received, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Okay, what is teaching? but actually helping you think rightly about a topic, right? Paul has taught them how to think rightly about their salvation. He has given them God's word. He has presented to them Christ crucified. They know how they should live now, but it's not enough to just know. You still have to act. You still have to do. You have to practice these things. Don't be just hearers of the word and not doers only. Don't just sit under sermons week after week and just think about, well, I'm just going to evaluate whether I agree with what he's saying or not. That's not all that there is. Don't just sit here and try to find interesting connections about God's Word and think, oh, that's great. 
There's more. You have to put it to practice. You have to apply God's word to your life. Most of you know that our senior pastor has been sick now for some time. Right? And sadly, he's had um, some hard weeks just recently, and he hasn't been doing well. And we grieve with that, right? All of us grieve greatly with that. And one of the hardest things for him as your shepherd is that he can't actually be with you. A loving shepherd actually hates not being there with the sheep. Yeah, we read that in Galatians 4. He has this anxious feeling over them that even when he's not present, he wants to see them and Christ's complete in them. And the truth is it's really hard to encourage someone with long-term sickness, especially if you're not going through something like that yourself. You, you want so desperately, I know a lot of you so desperately want to just be an encouragement to your pastor and to be able to do something to help him. And it's just so hard because you don't understand fully the condition. You don't understand what the days look like, what that day necessarily entails. So it's really hard to know how to encourage somebody with long-term sickness. You want to do something just to lift up your pastor's spirit. Well, if you want to do that, if you actually want to do that, one of the best things that you can do to encourage your pastors is to actually help them to know that his efforts have not been in vain. One of the best things you can do for him and for your pastors and youth, one of the best things you can do for Joel is to share with him what you're learning and to put these things into practice. What you have learned, put in place. What you have seen, imitate. Especially if you've ever heard a specific word to you, if a pastor has gone out of your way to actually tell you, hey, brother, hey, sister, this is something that I think would be really helpful to you. If you actually put that to practice and you see the blessings of seeing that and then you share that with them, that is the thing that will encourage a pastor's heart more than anything, to see the sheep walking with the Lord. And as you do that, the peace of God actually dwells with you. That's what the verse says. As you practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And this goes beyond pastors too, right? Sons, daughters, do you want to honor your parents? Do you want to encourage them? You know that they love you. How can you encourage your parents? Practice what they've shared with you. Take their advice. Take their commands. And actually think highly of it. Apply it. And then tell them that you did that and how well it went for you. Okay, even if you don't fully understand why they're telling you that thing to do that thing, even if it feels off, even if it seems too hard, do it, do it knowing that you're serving God and not man. And then let that act of faith actually bring comfort and joy to your whole family. So share. Do it and share. It's one of the most encouraging things you can do as a church. That's why it's just wonderful to hear about Jack and his testimony and to hear about the role of his parents in this church to bring him to himself. When you share those things and you share, you don't just neglect them and keep them to yourself. That actually brings comfort and encouragement, not just to pastors, but to all the body of Christ. I'm not, I'm not good at it, you know. One of the things that, you know, Josh will know, and it's for a long time he told me just to buy Megan a tree, just to buy a tree for the backyard. And 
I was so cheap. And I was like, I don't think we need it. I don't think so. And it took me years to do this. And I finally went ahead and did it. And it was great. And it was too late. And we sold our house not that long after. So we didn't even get to enjoy it. Don't be like me. Apply the things that you've heard. And the peace of God will be with you. My hope is that as you grow in obedience, that that will lead you to experience God's blessings, to the joy of many, and the glory of your Heavenly Father who ordained it this way. So let us pray. Father, we ask and we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Lord, we have a long ways to go in this. We have a long ways to go in knowing how to let our thoughts actually be pleasing to you and meditate on the things that are yours instead of things that are just selfish and earthly. You know we have a long ways in applying the things that we've heard. And Lord, for those of us who are wrestling with a specific command that we know that we need to apply, ways that we need to repent, Father, would you encourage our hearts to actually take steps to obey and to see you glorified through our obedience. Thank you that we stand not on our own obedience, but Christ's, and that we cannot do anything, Lord, apart from you, that our hope is you and you alone. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would be with us, go before us, that you would be our vision, that you would guide us, direct our steps, direct our minds. We need you, and we need your mercy. So we pray, Lord, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.